Morning all, my name's Sam, I'm one of the elders here in the church, if I don't yet know you. Uh, I mentioned uh, last week about the coach mentoring program, which means that we would be able to go into potentially uh, some of the families from the BYLC school uh, and help them achieve goals, etc., etc. So for those of you who came and signed up, and there was a lot of you, uh, there was enough that I rang um, Craig from Pearson's and sort of said, could you come and handle uh, the amount of questions that there would be? So we're not going to have a meeting before February next year. So if you signed up, just know, early February, Craig's going to come along. He will share in the service itself. Uh, and then straight after the service, there will be a meeting for everyone who is interested where he can actually outline it and answer all of those questions. So early Feb next year, uh, that will be happening now. In the next few weeks, I'll do another little promo. So some of you are sitting there going, I have no idea what Sam's talking about. Uh, if that's you, you can also come and talk to me after the service, and I'd happily chat to you about that as well. Um, so that's where we're at. We'll have a much better thing going on early in the new year. All right. <clears throat> what is the hardest that you have ever pursued a goal in your life? What is it where you've gone all out to achieve something? Was it the study load required to achieve your degree? Maybe you're a doctor this morning or something like that, and you had to go hard, you had to really focus to pursue that goal, or maybe it was to get your building license and you had to work really hard to achieve that goal. Uh, maybe it was to get your farm up and running and sustainable. Uh, maybe it was to get the weight off and keep it off, which is actually impossible in my opinion. But anyway, um, what is that goal that you've driven at and pursued at? I think for me, one of them would be the pursuit of Beth, the, the of my life. Uh, you know, when I set my sight on Beth, there was simply no stopping me. Uh, I used to ride my motorbike to the bakery where she worked every single day and buy an iced coffee just so I could talk to her over the counter. And I'm pretty sure it took Beth a little while to figure out why I passed 382 other shops where I could have bought iced coffee to come to that one. Uh, and then I found out in talking to Beth over the, the balcony at the bakery that she liked rollerblading. Everyone, anyone go through the rollerblading craze? Yeah, there's a few nods. I hate rollerblading, but Beth told me how she loves to rollerblade. So I went out, bought a pair of rollerblades, and then next time I saw Beth, happened to drop that I too love rollerblading, and maybe we could go together. Uh, and so we did. We went on this kind of rollerblading fun thing together, and not long after that, we started dating, and I never went rollerblading again. Uh, anyway... So, uh, like I said, right, you, you set your goal and you pursue it. I think you know what I'm talking about. Singular focus to pursue a certificate, a prize, a girl. The reality is we should all have goals that motivate us and drive us. And they can change over time, can't they? When my children were small, my goal was often just to not lose my mind completely. Then they became teenagers and I retained the goal, right? And so it didn't change then. But, but now that they're all grown up and adults, part of my goal is just to occasionally bump into them, right? Because it's just they're so busy and so you, your life's kind of goals change. Whatever it is, maybe you want a boat, 
Maybe you're pursuing a nice retirement, maybe chasing them gains. But ultimately, our goals, if we are a Christian, don't really come from us. Our goals are set by our master, Jesus. To become a Christian, you first have to die to the desires of this life, to give up on your hopes, dreams, and goals of this life, and instead take on the hopes, dreams, and goals that Jesus gives you. Now, I know that we still have to have some in this life. We still need to make plans, we still need to work hard, we still need to set goals, but we can't do so with a single-minded determination that ignores the fact that we have given our lives to Christ, and He is the one who has ultimate authority over our lives. Amen? You're all asleep. Thank you, Ivanka. Gee. So now we need to read the Word, paying careful attention to the things that Jesus would have us pursue. And we're going to look at those, one of those this morning. And I cannot overstate how important this goal is. And you will see when we read the passage just how important a goal this really is. Let's get to it. If you have your Bibles there, let's open up to Hebrews 12. We're going to read 14 to 15. Hebrews 12, 14 to 15. This humidity kind of like dulling everyone a little bit. You know, it's warm. Get over it. All right. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and filing many. Amen. Pursue peace with everyone. Now, pursue, this this word here in its original language means to move rapidly and decisively, to run, to press on, to focus in on a goal and pursue it with all you've got to achieve it. It doesn't mean meanderingly, slowly make your way and stop and smell the roses on the way. No, fix your gaze and pursue it with all you got. This is when a bunch of friends are over and there's a box of Krispy Kreme donuts and there's only one left and you haven't had one yet. Single-minded determination, right? You're in there. It's yours. Or in this church, maybe there's only one seat left at the back and if you don't claim it, you'll have to sit at the front. And you're going to like shove an old person out of the road to get that seat, right? Single-minded determination, singular focus is what we are talking about. Seriously, you get what the scriptures are saying. Head to the goal with purpose. What is this goal that we are pursuing? Why is it we need to move so decisively and quickly? Well, you note what it said, pursue peace with everyone. Pursue peace, strive to pursue peace with everyone. Your goal, your striving, your effort, your focus, your pursuit is to have peace with everyone. This is really important because this is an active verse. The verse is not try and live at peace, 
It's not the command to be living as a hippie and living a self-centered life, taking your Insta snaps and not really interacting with anyone and so therefore I'm at peace. No, it's an active command to be the agent of peace, for you to get amongst God's people and pursue peace. What we can't say as Christians is, well, if they don't like it, that's their problem. No, the scripture says here, if they don't like it, it's your problem. Because you are called to actively pursue peace. It's your job to try and make peace happen. Church, think about any conflict you're in with people right now. Simple question. Are you actively trying to pursue peace? That is what this passage is calling you to. You be the one who sets your focus, your goal, your objective on pursuing peace. There's plenty of other places we could look, isn't there? We go to the Beatitudes and blessed are the peacemakers, Romans 12, 18, and the command to live at peace with everyone, but I'm sure you're getting the idea. You are straining ahead to be at peace with everyone. This is one of the defining attributes of the church, our love and peace. It doesn't mean that you are super close to everyone, but it does mean that you are at peace with everyone. You can't be best friends with everyone here, but you can pursue peace with everyone here. Because if you have an issue, you would not rest because your goal is to achieve And so when a non-Christian comes in to this room and joins in here as a part of our gathering, what they find is a people who are reconciled to God and reconciled to one another and peace reigns, right? That is what we're meant to find here in the church. There is no animosity here. There is no harboring of grudges here. There is no bitterness here because we all pursue peace. Now, of course, we can find it difficult. Sometimes we've been hurt, and the hurt is genuine. Sometimes the other person has not repented, and we find that difficult. We still have a compelling reason to forgive, to seek reconciliation, and find peace. Your Bible in Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, so if you're following along, Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, says this. Listen carefully, Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Forgiving one another, just as God forgave us in Christ. How was that? While we were yet sinners, 
while we were enemies of God, while we were unrepentant, uh, uh, self-centered enemies of God, Christ died to pay the penalty of our sin. God pursued peace. God took the initiative. God did what was necessary to reconcile us to himself. Despite us being enemies of God, God did what it took to make peace between you and God. Have you felt the grief of knowing that your sin, not someone else's, knowing that your sin required Jesus to die a bloody, shameful, humiliating death on the cross, bearing the wrath of the Father. Are you aware of that? It's your sin. It had to be paid by Christ for you to be brought to the Father. And as we hold to that pain and that tension at the same time, we have the joy of our sin being forgiven, the joy of being reconciled to God by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's knowing the pain of our sin that took Christ to the cross and yet the joy of his grace that we bring in our relationships to other people. See, it's that experience of God that we have in our own heart that we bring into our relationships with one another. We should know who we are, that we are undeserving, that we are recipients only of God's grace. So in the grace and joy of sins forgiven, we come to others and then we can let all bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God forgave you. As you've experienced that grace of God, it's that grace of God that that we then bring to one another. Another way of putting it would be in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher. He said this, If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. Right? That's the truth of the gospel. If anyone thinks ill of you, don't be angry with them because you are actually worse than they think you are. In the eyes of God, you have nothing but sin. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have nothing but forgiveness and grace. That's what we bring to our relationships. We at once are a despicable sinner who could not save themselves and a chosen child of God redeemed by amazing grace. We have the confidence of a loved child and the humility of a redeemed sinner. That person simply will not remain bitter, cannot remain bitter. They will pursue peace as Christ pursued peace with you. Right, that's the first four words of our verses covered, so strap in, we're going to be here a while, right? So, pursue peace. That's, that's the first bit, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Now, a way to think of God's holiness is the perfections of all God's 
character, right? So God's holiness is the perfection of God's character. In other words, God's love is a holy love. Now, this word holy means set apart. It's other. It's beyond. So God's love is a greater love. It's a more majestic love. It's a more sacrificial love. It's a it's an other love than we, we can ever know ourselves, the holy love of God. God's justice is a holy justice. It's, you cannot barter with it. You can't bargain with it. It's, it's unchanging. It's always fair. God's justice is a holy justice, which, by the way, is why he couldn't ignore our sin. It required penalty, and Jesus paid the penalty, right? God's justice is a holy justice. God's anger is a holy anger. Don't make the mistake. His anger is greater than any anger you've ever had. His anger is other. It is ang- He rages at sin at the destruction of the world he created, right? The holiness of God can be seen as the, the, the fullness of all of his other attributes, right? That's where we see the holiness of God. We are to pursue peace and holiness. So how do they link? Our pursuit of peace is never at the expense of holiness. Right? This is why we must pursue both. You cannot live a life of peace, loved by all, disliked by none, because you have compromised the truth of God's holy character. Right? That's an option. I'm at peace because I will not say Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm at peace Because I will not say transgenderism is abuse and destruction of the body God made. I'm at peace because I don't share my life as a part of the body of Christ. I'm at peace because I'm not willing to share my faith with anyone. All of these things and many more mean that you might have peace, you might have pursued peace, but you've pursued it at the cost of God's holiness. You've compromised God's character in order to have peace, and that is sin, right? This is why the two are linked. Pursue peace and holiness, the living out of God's character in God's Word. Church, do we seek hostility? Do we seek it out? No. But we follow a different Lord, don't we, than the world? And if we follow his commands in a world that does not, conflict will inevitably arise. And we must be prepared for it. We cannot compromise uh, the truth of God's word in order to maintain peace. If your peace with man is a compromised peace, which means more to you than the holiness of God, then according to our passage, you will not see the Lord. For that peace is not really peace at all, but it's cowardice. It's a fear of man that compromises the holiness of God to maintain peace. And that's not the actions of a person who has died to this world and its desires. It's a person who is still in love with the world and its desires. And they will not see the Lord. Unfortunately, this is so many churches today. 
If it's not a fear of man that guides them, it's a false belief that they will win the lost by being nice to them, by removing the offense of the gospel. And what that creates is a new gospel that, according to our passage, does not save. You will not see the Lord. If you don't come to church and regularly feel challenged, you have a problem because the gospel continues to crucify the flesh. As it rears up its ugly head, the gospel continues to challenge. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, but it also, but it also means the good news is the ongoing work of the Spirit which keeps us with God and is molding and pruning and correcting and, and challenging our old sin nature. Right? So we pursue peace, we work for peace, but never at the expense of God's holiness, as revealed in his word and through his people, as we are filled with the holiness of God, right? Pursue peace and holiness, never compromise one for the other. Finally, verse 15, our final verse. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. So we're called to pursue peace, to make it a priority, to reconcile with one another. The onus is on each one of us. And at the same time, we must uphold the holiness of God. We stand on the truth of his word. What do we do, though, when it's not happening? Who should we be looking out for causing division and not peace? Who should be watching out for that? The answer, church, is all of us. This word here, makes sure, means to have oversight, to have oversight over this area, and it's applying it to the whole church. It's an authoritative term which says to the whole church, church, you are all to have authority over looking for the root of bitterness that might spring up, the fall of grace that might spring up. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. What does this mean? It means living out the gospel and everything it has provided. The humility that we talked about, the grace we talked about, the kindness we talked about, the willingness to forgive and reconcile with one another, which we've talked about. Does anyone ever fall short of that occasionally? Yes? But don't sit there and say, oh, all the time. I don't think that's true because this is a stern warning if that's all the time true of you. I'm positive that for many of you, a lot of the time, you can show grace. You can show kindness, you can show mercy, compassion, humility, etc. Sometimes you fall short. You can be unkind when you should be kind. You can be unforgiving when you should be forgiving. You can make a big deal out of a small thing because you are tired and stressed and someone gets both barrels for a small issue. This happens. We don't want to make light of those things. They are still sin. We should repent and ask forgiveness for them when we realize we've fallen short of God's character. But this passage is different. 
This is different. This is the ongoing, consistent failing to live out the grace of God. The consistent, ongoing failure points to a heart that has not known the humbling work of the cross and forgiveness in their life. It may point to a hardened heart that has grieved the spirit and now lives in the broken world of bitterness, or it could be someone who's never experienced the grace of God themselves. Now, our passage that we've just been looking at makes sure that no one falls short of the grace, the work of God's grace in your character, and that no root of bitterness springs up. That's a direct quote from Deuteronomy 29. Let me, let me read that to you, the root of bitterness. Deuteronomy 29, 17 to 18. You saw their abhorrent images and idols made of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which were among them. Be sure there is no man, woman, clan, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Be sure there is no root among you bearing a poisonous and bitter fruit. The picture we have here is that someone is a worshipper of a false god and that if you tolerate that person like a bitter root, they will sprout fruit and all who eat of that fruit will be impacted by it. Bitterness will spread. In our passage, it says a bitter root springing up and defiling many. And what it's saying is, church, all of us are called to be on the lookout for the bitter root. You can't see it when it's under the ground, buried, biding its time, waiting for the right environment. But when it sends out a shoot, we're called to cut it off, to deal with it. In the context of our passage, we can think of the one who does not work for peace, but always seems to bring division around them. Now, they may not be outspoken, forming a huge rallying group that's trying to split a church or something like that. They probably won't look anything like that. What's the root that might shoot up from the fruit of bitterness? It's the person whose comments are always negative. It's the person who subtly always wants to bring someone down rather than build up. Watch for the person when people join around them. The people who used to love church the people who used to love their home group, the people who used to love singing with the saints are becoming more bitter about church. They're becoming more bitter about certain people. They're becoming more bitter about the music. They're becoming more bitter about the programs. The reality is that there's been a bitter root that has taken fruit and that bitter root begins to defile many. And the bitterness begins to grow. If you ask the bitter root, they're always justified. The bitter root always finds someone to blame. Well, I wouldn't be like that if it wasn't for. Well, remember what we looked at? Why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Continued bitterness denies the grace that you have received. So a passage says we are called to be observant, observant and ready to cut off the bitter root when we see it. By their fruit you will know them. Now, one of the easiest ways to deal with a bitter root is to not be soil for which it can grow. In other words, how do you cut off the bitter root? Don't listen. Don't give them soil to plant their tendrils. Walk away. Tell them you won't listen. Tell them what they're saying is wrong. Deny the good soil for the bitter root to grow. So we are called to be peacemakers, reconcilers, who pursue, hunt down, work at making peace. Church, don't miss that. There is a call on each of us to pursue with total dedication and singular focus, making peace. We do so whilst walking in the holiness of God, looking for peace, but accepting the conflict that comes along as we follow God's standards and not the world's. When we are not pursuing peace, when we are in fact someone who brings division, even by subtle slander, little digs to help other people think less of someone, we are the root of bitterness that either needs to repent confess our sin and come back to the grace of God or we need to be dug out and we know what Jesus said we do with a branch that doesn't bear fruit. We cast it into the fire. Right? Church, are you a peacemaker? A pursuer of reconciliation? putting yourself out to create peace? Are you standing on God's holiness, making peace but willing to accept conflict if it arises? Are you on watch, ready to cut out the shoots of bitterness that spring up and not give them good soil in which to grow? God has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation between God and man as we proclaim the good news. But the good news has also reconciled us to one another as we actively pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for its, its balance and its challenge. Lord, you, you tell us so clearly we must pursue peace. We, the onus is on us to reconcile, to, to make things right relationally. But Lord, we cannot do so at the compromise of your holy character as revealed in your word. But I pray that we would pursue peace and always stand on the truth. Lord, in the church, help us to not be the soil that allows the root of bitterness to spring. Lord, may we all be observant to rebuke where it's needed, to correct where it's needed. Lord, that peace could reign, the 
the reconciliation of Christ between God and man would be seen in the love of his people. Lord, we pray this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen.